has the modern day church been hijacked by Greek philosophy? Did Christ and all of his apostles and the early church, were they all living a Torah observant life? Is this something that we should be doing now? Should we follow all of the dietary guidelines as prescribed in the Old Testament? Should we observe every Sabbath, every feast? Should we be circumcised? Friends, I've had so many requests for this series. Uh, Many people questioning their very salvation because uh, they feel this guilt that they're not able to follow all of the laws as prescribed in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible. Today on the podcast, we're going to conclude this three-part series. Again, we're talking about common pitfalls in the Messianic movement. In one word, you can sum it up this way, legalism. There's many uh, legit, good Messianic congregations out there. I know several uh, Messianic believers that really have their heads on straight. Uh, They understand the difference between law and grace. They understand that we are saved by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should boast. That's uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, if anybody's curious. We are saved by grace. And today we're going to be looking at many more scriptures uh, that basically show us just that. See, in the early church, there were so many debates on this very subject. You could say that this was the biggest theological challenge to the early church uh, that you can find in the New Testament because so many uh, Jewish believers had come to a saving f- faith in Jesus Christ and immediately wanted to take all the Gentiles and have them observing all of the dietary laws in in the Torah and uh, observing the feasts and making sure they observe the Sabbath. Uh, All these types of things, all the things that the Jews were required to do, these early Messianic Jewish believers wanted these early Gentile believers to observe. The question is, does God want us Gentile believers to, to be observing these things or not. So if this is a struggle for you, this is the podcast for you. Welcome. This is Michael Bohm with the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. One thing I want to mention right off the bat here, uh, there's been some that have expressed concern uh, in this series that I might be saying something to the effect of, we can disregard all the words of Moses. And uh, specifically pointing at the second podcast in this series, I'm not sure what I said that might have given that impression, but I just want to just clear the air right now and say that, guys, Every single word in the Bible 
is inspired of God. Every last little word. And so, no, I definitely don't want anybody to disregard the words of Moses. I don't want anybody to disregard the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. In any way, shape, or form, it is 100% inspired. Uh, What I am saying is that uh, there are certain portions uh, where there are, are some laws that are directed towards the Jews at that time. Does that make sense? At that, ooh, shall I use the word, dispensation. During that time before Christ, uh, where the Jews were under the law. Just like the New Testament says, the law is our schoolmaster. It points us to Christ. It shows us that there is, <laughs> we can't measure up. There is nothing we can do to measure up to God's law. And uh, that was made very clear in the Old Testament to the Jews. Uh, Are us Gentiles, are we supposed to uh, eat according to the dietary laws as prescribed in the Torah? No. Uh, Are we to, must we observe the feasts? Or must we observe the Sabbath? No, no, no. But at the same time, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I do observe the feast from time to time, and it's it's awesome. I actually really enjoy it. Uh, do I feel that I have to? No, absolutely not. Uh, the Sabbath. Uh, yeah, actually, I do observe the Sabbath as much as I can. Uh, it's a wonderful time. Okay, you need to take a day where you rest. And you know what? During that day of rest, spend some time with the Lord. It is awesome. I mean, that's what charges a person up. Well, there's a lot of things that will charge you up in the Lord. But when you take a day and just relax, okay, not legalistically, okay, this is not like, oh, don't flip on a light switch and, oh, don't cook yourself dinner. And and when your wife asks you to take the trash out or empty the dishwasher or or she doesn't ask, but you see that it must be done. I mean, come on. It's not a big deal. Okay, but what I'm trying to say is uh, taking a day where you, for the most part, relax. uh, If you can, devote the day to the Lord, you know, studying his word, praying, uh, just communing with God, listening to some good praise music. These types of things, it, it will charge your batteries. It'll fill you up. If you're feeling a little light, if you're feeling a little far from God, try that. It's actually uh, pretty impressive how simply taking a day and focusing on God and staying away from those things that you have, those obligations, how that can just charge you up and get you fired up to uh, go another day, go another week, continue on in the Lord. Anyway, I'm getting a little sidetracked as usual. Uh, All that to say, should we disregard the words of Moses? Absolutely not. Uh, All I'm saying is that uh, are Gentiles obligated to uh, do the things that I've mentioned uh, thus far in these, uh, do the things I've mentioned thus far in this series, such as observing uh, the Sabbath, observing the feasts, uh, uh, following all the dietary laws as prescribed in the Torah, Should Gentiles have to do that? No, we're not obligated to do that. That's all I'm saying. So I just want to clear the air if anybody is confused about that. But no, 
I, I mean, every single word in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is inspired of God, and we're not to ignore any of it. It's all good stuff, and it should be studied. Uh, and in all these various laws that the Jews had to follow, like I mentioned, they are a schoolmaster. They are pointing us towards Christ. And there are types and there are shadows, little nuggets of gold hidden all throughout those laws. All those laws, they do point towards Christ in one way, shape, or form. It's pretty amazing. So yes, every single word of the Bible inspired, read it all, understand it all, disregard none of it. Does that make sense? I hope so. Good. Let's jump into today's content. I have a lot of other scriptures I want to look at, uh, a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of very conclusive, irrefutable uh, uh, scriptures that flat out, point blank, show that us Gentiles are not obligated to do these things that I've already mentioned. All right, so let's jump in. Uh, today, yes, we're going to continue on with this series. It turned out to be a series. I thought we were going to just do two parts, but it turns out there's enough information here that um, it's going to be three parts. And, you know, this is potentially a very dangerous movement, potentially, okay? Again, like I mentioned in the first two podcasts, if you uh, uh, seek to understand the Old Testament uh, more intimately and really understand the Jewishness and the the law, the Torah, and, um, well, to see Christ in it and to see how Christ is uh, fulfilling all that is there, by all means, go ahead. If you're looking to observe the feasts because, uh, well, they're pure, for one, there's there's no weird pagan strings attached to them, but also everything about them seems to point towards our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Absolutely, by all means, go ahead. Uh, if you're looking to eat according to the dietary guidelines of the Old Testament for uh, health reasons, or maybe perhaps it is your own um, personal offering to the Lord. By all means, go ahead. As soon as you start pushing that legalism, uh, pushing that upon others and saying, you must eat according to the, di- the guidelines of the Old Testament. You must observe all the feasts. You must, uh, you know, all these things, observing all that is therein in the uh, law that is where we start running into problems. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, You know, what about worshiping on Sunday? Is that taking the mark of the beast? Is that somehow uh, offending a holy God? Uh, No, absolutely not. In fact, as we mentioned in the last podcast, and as I have mentioned in uh, another series about, I believe the title was, Did Jesus Profane the, the Sabbath? Um, the early believers, the early church, uh, if you believe that way, read the book of Acts again. Just go ahead and read it through. And notice one thing as you're going through that uh, they continually got together on the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week, the first day of the week. That would have been Sunday or Saturday night, if you will. Uh, that was Sunday. They got together, uh, they studied God's word. 
Um, they encouraged each other. They made a collection uh, for the saints, uh, you know, various Christian communities that were uh, hurting and needed some help. And they worshiped the Lord. That sounds a lot like the modern day church service, doesn't it? Uh, so is there something wrong with worshiping on Sunday? No, absolutely not. And this would be a good time to read a particular scripture, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Uh, check this out. I think this says it very well. Again, Paul, being the author of this book of Colossians, um, he starts off in verse 13, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you, all trespasses. So already right here, we're, we're seeing this conflict between uh, those who would have a new believer be circumcised and follow all of the law of Moses, right? But yet here we have these new Gentiles uncircumcised in their flesh, yet God has quickened them together with him, having forgiven them us, all of our trespasses. And so verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or a new moon, or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. I mean, that just sums it up. That's exactly what I've been saying. The feasts, they are a shadow of things to come. The Sabbath, pointing towards Christ. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of a new moon, or of a Sabbath. I mean, in context, we're not, Paul is not saying here, uh, all you Gentiles that are observing, uh, you know, the, the dietary laws of the Torah, you know, meat and drink, uh, and the feasts, and they're observing the new moons, and they're observing the Sabbath, and you shouldn't judge people who are doing these things. No, no. And I've, I've been in Messianic congregations where they actually flipped this verse on its head and made it sound like, you know, to you, Messianic believers that are observing all these things, don't let anybody judge you. And it's like, no, read it in context. No, Paul is turning that. I mean, no, no. The Messianic congregations that say that are flipping this verse over and having it say exactly opposite of what it's clearly saying. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. And we keep seeing this, this concept of, uh, look, these Gentiles are uncircumcised, yet Christ is has forgiven them of all their trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, the letter of the law, that was against them and contrary to them, and, they, and Christ took it and nailed it to the cross. 
boom, let's look at another one. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Uh, this one's another one about uh, commanding to uh, keep all the feasts and to eat according to the dietary guidelines of the Old Testament. So verse 1, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God has received him. All right, stop really quick and look at that. So the person that's eating herbs is uh, uh, avoiding certain meats, right? He is uh, trying to follow and be Torah observant. But the scriptures here refer to him as weak. Uh, He who is weak eateth herbs. And we have the situation where uh, somebody is... Uh, you know, have enjoying a nice piece of bacon. I, I'm definitely inserting that myself. Um, but uh, this person that understands their liberty in Christ is not to be judging those who don't, okay, who are still stuck in this legalism, right? Uh, okay, Christ has received them both, all right? But here would be a perfect time for Paul to jump in and say, uh, you know, Basically, if it is true that we should be observing all these dietary guidelines, first of all, he wouldn't have snuck in that little shot about the one who was weak. But secondly, uh, you'd think this would be a great time for him to say, by the way, my new friends, my new Gentile believers, um, this is the direction you need to be going. You know, uh, yes, you're walking in liberty right now, but uh, uh, God really wants you to move in this direction of full Torah observance. So moving on in verse four, who are you that judges another man's servant? To his own master, he stands or he falls. Yes, he shall be holding up for God is able to make him stand. One man esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Okay, stop right there. That might've just totally escaped you. One man esteems one day above another. Okay, so, uh, you know, you must worship on the Sabbath. You must. If you don't worship on the Sabbath, this, that, and the other, right? Then you have this other person who's walking in liberty. He esteems every day alike. Okay, now this would be when Paul says, Hey, we need to remember the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? This would be a perfect time. But he goes on to say, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So these are issues that really are up to the individual in a sense. Okay, Uh, again, we're walking in liberty. We don't have to do these things. If you live amongst Jews, hey, you know, be that way to win some Jews over to Christ. If you live in America and uh, you don't know any Jews, what are you doing trying to make yourself Jewish? I mean, you're wasting your time and you're becoming offensive to everybody around you. Look, the cross is offensive enough. Okay, the gospel is offensive enough. Saying that homosexuality is a sin and that uh, same-sex marriage is contrary to the scriptures. 
that's offensive enough. Okay, let's not make the gospel more offensive by uh, doing things that repel people, that push people away, right? We want to be drawing them near to us. Okay, so verse 6, He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. See what's happening here? It, 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 it's okay. You know, be persuaded in your mind, in your own mind. If you want to eat a Torah-observant life, great. Don't push it on others. If you don't want to eat a Torah-observant life, you're fine. You're totally fine. We're walking in liberty here. It's not a sin. Did you hear me? It's not a sin. Paul would have made that very clear, but over and over and over in the scriptures, we're seeing it's not a sin. Now, uh, later today, you're going to hear that um, if you're doing these things um, with the thought in mind that you're, you're increasing your righteousness, you've fallen from grace. Paul's pretty clear about this, okay? So it actually is a sin if you're living a Torah-observant life uh, for the sake of salvation, that's scary stuff. Okay, so uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Uh, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. Okay, just one verse. Yes, I know. And I just wanted to hit you with that. Think about that. Don't frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. Now, something else, this is a little side note, but I wanted to throw this in here because um, I guess I do, I, I apologize, sometimes I find it a little humorous when people uh, get all up in my face and say that worshiping on Sunday is taking the mark of the beast or whatever, um, you know, really getting on me about this whole Sunday issue. And I have people uh, email me from time to time and get on me about my stance on Sunday. Uh, you know, again, be fully persuaded in your own mind. If you want to worship on Saturday, by all means, go for it, whatever. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with coming together and worshiping on Sunday. If there was something wrong with it, why was everybody in the book of Acts doing that? Okay. Um, but look at this. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, we clearly see uh, that the Sabbath was not necessarily a day of worship. Worship. And that's what's happening today. Everybody gets together, they study God's word, and they worship the Lord, and they make collections, which is exactly the picture you see in the book of Acts. But here's what the Bible specifically says about the Sabbath. So we're, we're in the, the uh, Exodus chapter 20. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. We're looking at the Fourth Commandment here. And it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days uh, shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, 
the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So when we see this commandment about the Sabbath, um, we're not seeing anything here about um, don't get together, don't read and study the scriptures, don't make a collection for other uh, believers out there. Maybe they're uh, mission trip oriented believers that are going out into the world and spreading the gospel. Maybe they're believers uh, in another country that uh, desperately need clean drinking water, whatever. I don't know. I'm just, you know, throwing stuff out there. It's not about making collections. It's not about um, worshiping or studying God's word. It's not about having fellowship with fellow believers. Uh, the Sabbath is actually about uh, um, not working, keeping the Sabbath day. You, you spend a day in rest uh, with the Lord, okay? And that would be the seventh day of the week. So I just always find that a little humorous because, you know, people are getting in my face about you must keep the Sabbath. And it's like, look, man. When Saturday rolls around, I don't do any work. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm burnt out by the time Saturday comes. Uh, I'm recording this on a Saturday. Someone might call this work. Again, that would be a little legalistic. I'm, I'm uh, studying and teaching God's word. That's not work. Praise God. Uh, sometimes prepping for these studies is, is a little bit of work. But this isn't work. Uh, and all the prep was done yesterday, by the way, <laughs> just in case you're wondering. But whatever the case, oh, there's Mog. He's he's uh, weighing in on the podcast once again. Um, so what about meats? Observing um, the eating of, of, of the dietary guidelines in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. I think it says it very well. Uh, this again, this is Paul writing, but to us, uh, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Praise God. And going on to verse 7, and, and Paul asks this question, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, the knowledge that we are in Christ Jesus, and uh, all things are by him. Okay. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. All right, so, uh, you know, back in those times, there were many who were sacrificing uh, animals and offering it to idols, but then they would take that same meat rather than burning it up uh, on an altar or something. Then they would uh, bring it to the marketplace and sell it because there were so many pagan offerings happening and there was so much excess meat from these offerings that, that they would take it to the marketplace and sell it. So you'd have this meat that you knew was offered to an idol. And some people, um, being uh, poor, whatever, didn't have the money, they would buy this cheap meat that was offered to idols. It's kind of like when you go to Walmart and uh, what is it, Tyson and many other brands of food. Uh, their meat is halal meat, guys. Whoa, wake up. What does that mean? Halal meat is meat that was killed in the factory while somebody was reading uh, Quranic verses and blessing the meat. It's not like kosher. When you see that on the package and it says kosher, uh, no, halal means <laughs> that basically that meat's been offered unto an idol, which is Allah. 
which is a false god, which is a demon or a devil, if you will. Okay? And so next time you're eating a package of Tyson whatevers, <laughs> there you go. Now, I just screwed up your conscience, didn't I? That's okay. We're going to keep going. All right? It's not a big deal. Although, just as a side note, I do avoid buying stuff that has the halal label, not because I have, you know, some conscience problem where I'm thinking, oh man, I'm eating food offered to an idol. That's not the issue. Uh, the issue for me is I have a problem with companies that cow down to the to the, the religion of Islam, you know, a religion that cuts unbelievers' heads off and stones them to death, and tortures unbelievers, and subjects them to a heavy tax, a religion that is hell-bent on world domination, uh, that does bug me, and I'm not going to support companies, at least knowingly, that do these types of things. Uh, If somebody puts a plate of Tyson uh, uh, country-fried steaks in front of me or whatever, I'm going to eat it, and I'm, you know, whatever. I'm I'm in liberty here. It doesn't matter. I just don't choose to um, support companies that do that. But anyway, that was a rabbit trail for you. Um, So moving on, uh, I'm going to go back to to verse 7 here to get the context because I've rabbit trailed so far. (laughs) Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Verse 8, but meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. That verse right there, boom. Okay, that lays it down. You, Paul can't get any more clear here. Okay, eating according to the, the, the guidelines of the Old Testament, it's not going to make you any better. And not eating according to the guidelines of the Old Testament, it's not going to make you, spiritually wise, any worse. Okay? Verse 9, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. Oh, interesting. Okay? So, we are under liberty. And it doesn't. It really doesn't matter whether you follow these um, dietary laws or not. All right? But, take heed lest you cause somebody who's weak in their faith to stumble. Verse 10, For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience, conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. For when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh. While the world stands, lest I make my brother to offend. There's a really broad application going on here. Uh, You know, again, we're under this Christian liberty, right? Um, It's not just about uh, eating meat offered to an idol here. This, this is actually a very broad application. There are Christians out there that believe that it's okay to drink a little. Uh, you know, uh, for example, they'll cite uh, the passage where Paul tells Timothy to have a little wine for his stomach's sake. Uh, people believe that Timothy had some kind of a stomach disorder, uh, some kind of digestion problem or something, 
and uh, Paul thought it was okay for Timothy to have a little bit of wine with his stu- for his stomach. And so people will use that scripture and say, hey, well, it's, it's all right to drink. It's all, it's all right to uh, get a little crazy. But uh, one thing is obvious. The scripture says that, that drunkenness is wrong. Okay. It's, it's denounced. There's actually quite a few scriptures on drinking in the Bible. And the debate is pretty hot. Wherever you stand, whatever side you land on in this debate, one thing is for certain, uh, you have, if you uh, side on the side of, well, you know, I guess I'll have a drink once in a while. If you, if you decide to err on that side, you potentially can cause another believer to stumble. And that could be a problem for somebody. You see what I'm saying? So, okay, going back to Liberty, I don't want to get stuck on that whole thing with, with that debate, but I just, I just want to bring it up. If you are one who thinks it's okay and you can use your Liberty to have a drink now and then, uh, I think you need to think twice about who you possibly could stumble with those decisions. All right, enough said. Uh, What I'm trying to get at here is the fact that with your liberty, however that pans out, you can actually cause other believers to stumble. And to God, that's not a light thing. That's not a little thing. So really think that through, okay? If you're around Jewish believers and you know uh, that, that they abstain from certain types of meats, certain foods, would it not be better just to eat as they eat? Don't offend them. Don't sweat the little stuff, guys. Let's focus on the gospel. Let's try to get as many people into the kingdom as possible. Don't make a big deal about little things. And so moving on. Does that make sense? So uh, we're going to move on to Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. This is interesting because this whole uh chunk of scripture, it contrasts this concept of being led by the spirit or walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. Now, um, as we're reading through this passage, think about this because we're, we're seeing this contrast, this dichotomy of walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. And what does that really mean? Uh, as we read through this passage, Paul, again, Paul being the author of Romans, he defines the two. Uh, walking in the Spirit, that's trusting in Christ alone for our salvation, and walking in that liberty that we now have through Christ. And in that walking in liberty, we're not doing this to sin, we're just majoring on the majors and, and not worrying about the minors. We're walking in the Spirit so that we can fulfill the weightier matters of the law, which is loving the Lord our God with all we have, and secondly, loving loving our neighbor as ourself. And we're doing this uh, to please the Lord and to win as many as we can to Christ. Now there's those that walk in the flesh. And in contrast, walking in the flesh is trying to achieve your own righteousness through a Torah-observant life, through uh, uh, fulfilling all of the laws. You're trying to achieve your own righteousness. So Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. Okay, so he's speaking to those that know the law. How that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. 
this is kind of a, a difficult passage, so follow closely here, okay? So he's speaking to those who know the law, and he says uh, how they know that the law has d- dominion over a man as long as he lives. Verse 2, for the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if that husband be dead, she's loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. All right, so is Paul going to start saying the law's dead? What's going on here? So verse 4, wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law hmm, by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another. Did you catch that? My brethren, you are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another. All right, did you catch all that? So Paul's building this argument that if a woman is married to a man, then she is uh, bound by the law to her husband, okay? If she decides to run off and marry yet another man or have an affair or do something else sinful, she's committing adultery. But if that same husband dies and then she runs off and uh, uh, gets married to another man, that's not adultery, and then, he, and then he says, you know, basically just like that, Wherefore, my brethren, uh, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Did I not just say that earlier? Verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Let me say that again. That we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of letter. What does that mean? That means that uh, he's basically calling living that Torah-observant life, he's comparing that to living in the oldness of the letter, observing the letter of the law, you know, making sure that you don't kindle a fire on the Sabbath, and making sure that you don't uh, do any work, and your ox doesn't do any work, and none of your servants, because I know you guys all have servants, uh, don't do any work, you know, no work must be done on the Sabbath. Here we have Christ running around, uh, allowing his uh, disciples to pick corn and um, healing people on the Sabbath and asking a guy that he just healed who had been lame all of his life to pick up his mat and walk home, which is clearly work, okay? But he is bringing forth fruit unto God. So um, verse 5 again, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we are held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Moving on to seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. 
So here he is. He's continuing to contrast life walking in the flesh and trying to keep all the laws versus walking in the spirit and bearing fruit to the Lord. Uh, and, and Paul concludes with this he, in, in the next chapter, verse uh, uh, one of chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Mm, amen. Praise God. That is so awesome. So, same concept, okay? Same author, Paul, but we're going to jump over to Galatians chapter 5. Same idea. We're talking about this, this conflict of walking in the oldness of the letter of the law, you know, walking in the flesh, and trying to achieve your own righteousness versus walking in the spirit, which is understanding that Christ died for us. He paid for all these things. We are now dead to the law, okay? And now we are walking in this newness in Christ, in this liberty to bring forth fruit unto God. Okay, so uh, again, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And this is another long passage. But again, I really am trying to give you guys the whole context here. Because when I read just little snippets, uh, it's easy for the other side to turn around and throw other snippets back. I want you to understand the whole concept so you can say, no, that's clearly not what's being talked about here. This is what's being talked about. This is the context. And Paul clearly, uh, as well as many others, New Testament writers, uh, refuted this idea. Now, Paul goes after this idea more than anybody else in the New Testament. Why? Because he was a Jew of Jew. He was, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In fact, he's also referred to as a teacher of teachers. Okay, This is a guy who was uh, trained under the greatest Pharisee who ever lived, Gamaliel. Paul is one who uh, uh, would have had the entire Torah memorized word by word. Uh, he was one of the best teachers of the law. And then he gets saved. And then he has all these other Jews who get saved and, and find faith in the Messiah, Yeshua. And they're uh, all excited about Jesus, Yeshua. And, but they want to keep everybody under the law. They're like, Paul, come on, man. You know, you know the law. Why are you teaching this liberty? What's going on here? We need to make sure these Gentiles get circumcised right away. And we need to start teaching them about the Torah observant life. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You know, I have been with God. I understand this. And, and we are now dead to this law. And let's not have all of our new Gentile believers get stuck under the bondage, this yoke of bondage. And so, uh, okay, again, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if, you're, if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to the whole law. Whoa, whoa. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, Ye are fallen from grace. I want to read that again. Did you catch that? 
For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he's a debtor to the whole of the law. If you go out and get circumcised for the purposes of trying to achieve a new level of righteousness, you are indebted to the whole law. Christ became of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you were fallen from grace. That is a terrifying thing. Think on that, all of you out there that are listening to this uh, and, and um, are actually trying to follow all of the laws of the Torah. You're trying to achieve your own righteousness. If you are trying to be justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. That's what Paul says by the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calls you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you, you shall bear his judgment, whoever he be. And I, brethren, <clears throat> this cat. And that's when Mog decides to just come over and jump right in front of the microphone and start talking. He's like, hey, what's up? My name is Mog. <sighs> Sorry, guys. <sighs> okay, where am I at? Verse 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you, you shall bear his judgment, whoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. What? Wow. That's Paul's language. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. In other words, these guys that are trying to bring you back to the whole of the law and, and convince you to try and achieve your own uh, righteousness through works of the law, I wish they were cut off. Verse 13, For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. All right, so uh, again, and I've mentioned this over and over, yes, we're under liberty, we're under grace, um, we're walking in the Spirit now, but don't use that as, a, as an excuse to sin. Hey, I'm under grace now. I can do this and that. You know, I can have a, a, a sex outside of marriage and this, that, and the other. No, no, absolutely not. That is a sin. You know, don't take advantage of this stuff, okay? Walk in your liberty, but don't take advantage of God. Uh, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye, be, that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, 
lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the times past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, If you heard some stuff in there that characterize your life, think on that for a while. For if your life is characterized by these types of things, you're probably not saved. Uh, You know, I'll tell you what, many of those things, my life was characterized by when I got saved, I was still like that in many ways, and I was convicted. I felt the conviction of the Lord, and one by one, the Lord uh, helped me work these things out of my life. That's that process of sanctification. So is Paul saying here that if any one of these things uh, is in your life, you're automatically not saved? No, no. But if you claim to be a believer and you are not convicted by something that you're doing and and this is actually a, a practice in your life, let's just pick fornication, for example, since I brought that up a little while ago. If uh, uh, you are claiming to be saved, yet you're maybe you're living with a girl or something or she's living with you and uh, this fornication is taking place um, and that doesn't bother you, that doesn't make you sweat when you think about it and it doesn't drive you to your knees and ask for, for forgiveness, um, I, would, I would really be concerned that maybe you're not actually saved. Maybe the Holy Spirit is not giving you a spanking because the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside you. Okay, does that make sense? None of these things should be a practice in your life. If you accident, accidentally, if you fall into one of these deals, right? One of these things, you know, you did this and you're going, oh man, that doesn't mean you're not saved. It's something, you know, yes, we do sin. And that's where, praise God, thank you, Jesus. That's where we repent and we say, I'm sorry, God, I shouldn't have done that. And you turn around and go the other way. You stop what you're doing. Uh, if your life is characterized by one or more of these and you're doing it all the time and you're not convicted by it, you've got issues. You really do. And uh, you need to really think long and hard about that. So um, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, Uh, That's not weakness. That's meekness. That's having the strength to do something, uh, but not necessarily doing that. Kind of like when Christ was up on the cross and he could have easily sent legions of angels to pull him down and take take down Rome altogether. He didn't do that. He was he was meek in his faith. He showed humility and uh, and meekness. And so, yeah, meekness, temperance against such things. There is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. And, and it goes on from there. So we have this contrast between walking in the Spirit versus walking in the flesh. Uh, yes, walking in the Spirit will still lead to righteousness. No doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. You're going to, you know, if you're walking in the Spirit, um, you're going to start showing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And again, against such things, there's no law. 
you walk in the flesh and trying to achieve your own righteousness by the law, you're also going to find a lot of these other things in your life. You know, there's been a lot of people that I've known that were uh, really um, trying to achieve their own righteousness through a very strict Torah observant life. And you look at the works of the flesh here, and I can see so many of these different traits were uh, characterized. They, I mean, these people were characterized by these types of traits, many of them, okay? Uh, it's, it, it's just a road you don't want to go down. And so Christ has freed us from striving to fulfill all of the letter of the law that we might focus on these weightier matters, which would be fulfilling the whole of the law, loving God with our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're out there. We're trying to get people saved. We're not trampling underfoot God's law. Um, our life is, a, is in fulfillment of that law, but, but Christ died for us. We're walking in liberty now. We don't get caught up in these little matters. Yes, this is the Gentile church. Okay? We don't need to seek to become like the Jews. Um, let's focus on the things that really are important to God and not worry about the letter of the law and eating by the dietary guidelines and, oh, you must observe all the feasts and you need to have a Hebrew mindset and, uh, <clears throat> you know, all these things. All these things. You need to address God by a certain specific name. That's something I'm not sure if I mentioned. But there's this, these sacred name movements. There's so many movements out there uh, that claim, and, and many amongst the, the Messianic slash Hebrew roots crowd, that claim that you have to refer to God by a specific name. You know, uh, for for example, I remember for a while there, you at, at this hyper charismatic church, if you referred to Jesus as Jesus, uh, you had a Greek mindset and people really looked down upon you. Um, in fact, I remember hearing some say that if you're calling upon the name of Jesus, you're not saved because you're not calling him by his real name, Yeshua. <laughs> and then the debate started after a while. Well, wait a minute. What, what, how do you really pronounce Jesus' name? Is it Yehoshua? Is it Yeshua? Is it uh, Yahshua? Oh, and wait, how do you spell his name? Oh, no. Gosh, if we spell his name wrong, we're probably still not calling on the right name of God. Oh, no. And oh, it, it gets a mess. In fact, it, it reminds me of, um, I have an extra neighbor who's a Jehovah's Witness. It reminds me of the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, because, you know, you have to call God by his real name. See, you guys aren't even real Christians because you're not even calling him by his real name, which is Jehovah. And then you're like, are you aware that uh, uh, Jehovah, for one, was never even the J? wasn't even pronounced uh, for most of history up until recently. It was actually pronounced Yehovah. Oh, and by the way, Jehovah is not used anywhere in the New Testament. Uh, that was something that you guys imported into your Bible. Uh, and did you realize that God is called by many names in the Old Testament? Many, many names. Um, yeah, I'm, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Rabbit trails abound. Uh, so uh, what would this spirit of the Sabbath look like? You know, if you're not walking by the letter of the law, you're walking by the spirit, uh, what would that look like? 
Um, guys, we need to be setting aside some time for the Lord. That, that quiet time, that time when you're not occupied by the rest of the world. You know, put that cell phone down and stop dinking around on your cell phone. Uh, stop trying to do work. Stop rushing here and there. Set some substantial, some sufficient time aside to spend with the Lord. You know, read his word. Talk to him. Pray to him. Uh, worship him. And by talk to him, I'm not saying that you should expect to hear an audible voice back. But, you know, pray to him. Tell him your concerns. Praise him for the things that he's done for you recently that you're so thankful for. Praise him for the things that he has done in your life that we take for granted. Oh, God, thank you for hot showers. I love hot showers. Uh, I'm about to go on a mission trip in another part of the world that I'm, I don't think I'm allowed to be saying uh, yet. Uh, I'm sure you're going to hear all about it in a few weeks. Um, they don't have, in many parts of the world, hot showers. Praise God for a nice hot shower. Praise God for bathrooms that flush and water that runs. Praise God for soap. Praise God for all the things that we have, microwaves and and refrigerators. Praise God for the nice house that you have. And even if it's not nice, I bet you don't have a dirt floor. Praise God for all these things, that car that sits outside that can get you to work. <clears throat> you don't have to ride your bike or walk every day. Praise God for all the things that he gives you and, and worship him and pray to him and read his word, get to know him better, get to know him more intimately. That is the spirit of the Sabbath. That's what it looks like. Uh, and if you have to, you know, on a Saturday, uh, go help a neighbor. And that includes work, you know, fine for ministry's sake. By all means, help that neighbor. You know, I, oh gosh, what a, okay, check this one out. I knew somebody, not going to say any names. They might even be listening right now. This was so despicable, in my opinion. Refused to go to their best friend's wedding because it was on the Sabbath. And that was work. This best friend asked this girl to be the maid of honor. And, you know, that's like the most honorable thing to be in the wedding other than the bride and the groom. And... Asked her to do this, and she said no, because the wedding was on a Sabbath, and she couldn't do work on a Sabbath. There were so many family members that were not believers that saw this go down. She caused so many to stumble in how she acted. Good going. Way to, way to bring people to Christ for the cross. Oh, sorry. It, it just really irks me that that kind of stuff happens. Good grief. All right, so, <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, what would the spirit of circum circumcision look like? <laughs> well, circumcision was an outward sign of God's inward uh, covenant with somebody. All right, so uh, many times in the New Testament, uh, uh, baptism is, is compared to circumcision. It's that thing, you know, a few weekends back, my two daughters, praise God, got baptized. It was such a neat thing. And it's that outward sign. It's an outward act of that inward change. Uh, it's also symbolic of being uh, buried in Christ and, and resurrected in newness of life. There you go. Dead to the law, alive in Christ. Uh, right? 
Uh, some other ways that you know you could you could carry that application uh, is, you know, can, can people tell when they get to know you at work? Can they tell you're a Christian without you actually saying I'm a Christian? Which is fine, uh, nothing wrong with that. But you know, those people that you haven't told you're a Christian, but they've you've known them for a while. They've known you for a while. Can they tell? Can they pretty much just tell you're a Christian by the way you walk, by the way you live? In other words, is your life circumcised? Do you look like a Christian or not? You know what I'm saying? Are there outward signs of that inner faith that you hold that people can see? And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, the Jesus shirt that you might have or the fish that's on your bumper. Don't put Jesus fishes on your bumper. <laughs> because other people on the road, when you make a mistake, are going to be blaspheming the name of your God. <laughs> and uh, Sorry, that's my own personal opinion. Uh, but I took mine off of my car only for that reason. It was like, you know, I try my best to be a good driver, but there's moments when I do really stupid things. And um, whether it's on accident or, yikes, on purpose, God forgive me, stupid things. And it's like, you know, that doesn't look good for the cross. I'm pulling that off my car because, yikes. I understand there's another philosophy here, the philosophy of we want the world to see that, they, that there's a lot of us believers out there. Okay, I, I get that. Make sure you're an awesome driver if you got one of those in your car. Sorry about the rabbit trail. There's been a lot of them today. Uh, what would the spirit of following all the dietary laws of the Old Testament look like? Uh, some might argue that if we eat healthy, um, you know, God is, you know, our body is God's temple, right? You've heard that in the New Testament. And some might say, well, you know, you really should be eating as healthy as you can. Uh, again, let's not get all crazy legalist, but you know, if, if our body is God's temple, let's make sure that we're putting the right food in there. And you know what? I'm totally an advocate for that. Uh, I think that's really good because you know what? When you feel like crud, when you don't feel good because you haven't been eating good, um, your witness will be affected. Uh, real world example, you know, uh, somebody says, hey, you know, we're a couple buddies. We're going to go out and we're going to uh, hit the old town of our, our city and the crowded crowded area or the mall, and we're gonna we're gonna share the gospel. We're gonna hand out tracks, and you're like, man, I am tired. You're just thinking in your mind, I am so tired. I don't want to do that right now. Yes, I want to honor the Lord, but I just don't feel good. And it comes from you not taking care of yourself, years and years of just not eating right, and not getting good sleep, and this, that, and the other. Um, it can affect you. Or the guy sitting next to you on the airplane, and he's he's talking, and suddenly you just you just want a nap, you know. But you have this opportunity. You've got this captive sitting next to you. You got this captive that you can share the gospel to. You know these types of things, right? Um, and there's some out there, you know, who just want to try and eat more healthy. So uh, another way to look at this is. Um, you know, looking at what you're consuming spiritually, uh, you know, the things that you're taking in through your eyes, what are they? What are, what are, you, con what are you consuming? And is it kosher? <laughs> Movies? Books? Friends? Conversations? Are they clean? Are you trying to keep these things that you are consuming clean? What kind of filth are you putting in front of your eyes in the form of movies and TV? What type of books are you reading? What time, type of friends are you keeping company with? Uh, you know, what types of conversations are you having with these people? Keep them clean. Does that make sense? Garbage in, garbage out. 
The more secular music you put in your head, the more likely it is to pop up in your life sometime. Amen. That is the truth. I can testify to that. I know people who have specifically said that. I've been listening to uh, secular music for a few years, and I really enjoy secular music, but I'm starting to notice I'm getting farther from the Lord. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it happens. It happens. And, and anybody listening to me, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just trying to steer you back in the right direction. Try to consume uh, uh, the things that are clean as much as you can because garbage in, garbage out. The saying, you are what you eat, well, that, that is the application of that is so broad and so much more. You are what you consume as far as from the culture, okay, around you. Uh, what would the spirit of observing the feasts and rejecting all the pagan holidays look like? Um, you know, like I said, I think that everyone would do good to observe the feasts at least once in their life, to uh, work through each of the feasts, and, and hopefully somebody who is really understands this and understands how Christ is just everywhere in the feasts. It's amazing. Um, it's really fun, Okay. You'll, you'll, you'll see and learn about Christ and experience Christ from a whole new perspective. It's very exciting. It's, it's neat. Okay. Um, so, you know, hey. And you'll, un, you'll get a new understanding of the scriptures as well as you're seeing that, oh, wow, that weird thing they do during the feast that never made sense. Suddenly, I get it. And wow, that is a picture of Christ yet again. That's so cool. So, um, but, you know, be convinced in your own mind uh, n- nobody has to, you don't have to observe the feasts. You don't have to. Uh, conversely, uh, you don't have to avoid the pagan holidays. And again, like I mentioned earlier, I think that especially in the case of Easter and Christ- Christmas, if you have uh, extended family or whatever that always get together on these days and there's lots of unbelievers there, dude, <laughs> I just said dude in a podcast, go, please go and while their mind the secular unbelieving people at least have a slight thought of Christ in their head you've got an excuse to talk about Jesus are you kidding me how much cooler can it get you have an excuse because you know they're thinking oh easter you know this is a good excuse for me to go to a family's house and eat a bunch of food and uh who knows maybe even drink some beers whatever But they also know that many Christians believe that it is the day that Christ rose from the dead. Hey, you know what? You don't need to spend time lecturing them about how Christ really didn't raise from the dead on Easter. No, forget that. Worry about that with your other Christian friends. (laughs) You can have that debate with them. With these unbelievers? No, just, hey, you got an excuse to talk about Christ. Use it. Use every excuse you can to, to swing over to the supernatural and bring in Christ. Get them to the cross, okay? Uh, what about trying to look Jewish? Um, let me ask you this. Are you Jewish? Is your family Jewish? Do you live amongst Jews? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 18 through 21. Check this out. This is Again, this is Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, the teacher of teachers, the Jew of Jews. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Uh, whoa, wait, what? Eh? How do you get uncircumcised? Obviously, you can't. I mean, if you're already circumcised, um, something's already gone. (laughs) You can't get it back. Maybe modern-day surgery might be able to pull something off, but no, you're not getting it back. So what is he really talking about there? He's, uh, you know, are you called being a Jew? 
Well, don't try to be a non-Jew. Is any, you know, is any called in uncircumcision? In other words, are you a Gentile? Well, there's no use in becoming a, a Jew then. He goes on, let him not be circumcised. So if you're called in the uncircumcision, Gentile, let, you, let him not be circumcised or become Jewish. 19, verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Are you called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. All right, so in other words, <laughs> if you are a Gentile, don't seek to become a Jew unless unless that's your ministry. I, I know some friends uh, from church, amazing people, Bill and Patty. They uh, travel to Israel and do extended stays there and minister to the Jews. Um, and <clears throat> when they're here, they're as the Gentiles. When they go over to Israel, they become very Jewish. That's their ministry. And you know why? It's so that they don't offend them. Uh, they, they just want to win people to Christ, okay? This is not through deception. This is just through respect. Don't do things that freak people out and offend them, you know, especially when it's in the case of the gospel. The gospel, like I said earlier today, is offensive enough, okay? Don't major on the minors and minor on the majors. Let's get some people saved. Uh, so, if you're living amongst Jews and want to become all things to all men, that you might win some to Christ, amen, do it. Uh, if you are born and raised amongst Gentiles, don't seek to become a Jew. It becomes incredibly offensive to everybody around you. It doesn't make the cross look exciting. Uh, it doesn't, people don't want to be like that. When they see you and they see the way you're living, they, they're not like, wow, I want that, you know? So don't put a stumbling block in front of unbelievers for the sake of the gospel. Are you kidding? No. If you're called as a Gentile, then be a Gentile, a Gentile for Christ. Amen? Does that make sense? Uh, otherwise, you're just going to cause division and confusion to the unbelievers. Okay? Uh, what about reading the Torah? Dude, read the Torah. Yes, read the Torah. Read it a lot and read the prophets. Read them a lot too. And read the whole Old Testament. Read it a lot and read the rest of the Bible. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Do you see where I'm going? Yes. <clears throat> if you're a New Testament, New Covenant believer, don't forget, the, don't forget about reading the Old Testament. I know a lot of Christians who don't read the Old Testament. They're like, oh, that's too confusing. You know what? Read the Old Testament, please. Understand it all. Understand. You as a believer... Are, are, are really, God is expecting you to have a good command of the whole Bible, all of God's counsel. So read it all. Understand it all. Understand how it all applies. That is that process of sanctification. You know, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed. That's you, friend. Read the Bible. Understand it. And, uh, and, and you know what? I don't think there will ever be a time at which you'll really understand it all. You know what I'm saying? There will never be a time where you're like, well, I don't really need to read the Bible anymore because I got this going on. You know, I, I got it. I understand all of it. Every little jot and tittle, I get it all. No, nope. keep reading it all your life. 
You'll never get enough of it. Um, read it all. So there you go. And I'm going to end with this. All right. Uh, this is just kind of the capstone to the whole thing. Galatia, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. This is to all you out there that want to uh, uh, force all those Gentile believers into the belief system that you must observe all of the law, which is contrary to the gospel, as we have seen, clearly seen, over last week and this week's podcast. Clearly, we are not, we're not required to keep all of the law. It's not the gospel. That's not the good news. So Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you. When he says, which is not another, it's, it's not really an, a gospel. It's not the gospel. Uh, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And then Paul goes on, just in case you missed it. This is really important. He says it twice. I mean, if God's going to waste the ink in the paper, you know, his book is chock full of information. And it's very important information that we all need to have. And here we have Paul saying this twice by the Holy Spirit. He goes on, verse 9, As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. That is a scary thing. Friends, that is a very scary thing. And so uh, make sure that you are, are walking according to the gospel um, if you want to observe the laws of the Torah, you know, by all means, go for it. Hey, but don't try to achieve your own righteousness through that. And don't force anybody around you to try to observe that. And please don't cause that to be a stumbling block to unbelievers or to other believers that are looking on and seeing you doing these things. Really, all your actions as a Christian, always keep in mind, how will this be perceived by those around me, by those who are believers, but even more importantly, those who are unbelievers. Okay? The gospel's offensive enough. Let's not stumble people with our weird actions. Let's be loving them. Let's be walking according to truth. You know, those, those fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there's no law. And so I'm going to stop right there, friends. Thanks for listening. I will be having some experts on this subject come on the podcast in the near future. Uh, and so with that, I love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Sing it out loud, declaration.